0: Are you currently being hunted by a cryptid? Is a monster outside your house right now trying to get in? Well, I've met a man who can help you. Eventually, he'll get around to it. Then we travel to colonial America to take a look at what really happened to the Jamestown colony. Was the population so hungry they began to eat each other? Or did the Wendigo come to town? Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio, I'm your host Jason Carpenter, I'm having a great day, I hope you guys are having a great day too, I installed my pop filter, Audio, audio files who listened to the last two episodes, and people who just have normal human ears, when I rebuilt the studio I didn't put in the pop filter, so sorry about that. But it's here now. You know who else is here right now? Our newest Patreon supporter. Riding in on the back of a snail. He's taking a long time. Riding on the back of a giant snail like Never Ending Story. It's Sergio. Everyone give a round of applause. A big sticky snail round of applause for Sergio. I don't know why our hands are sticky, but they are. Our hands have turned to slugs. Sergio, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you can't swear the Patreon, or if you are not a slug, that's totally fine. You'll You'll probably get more job opportunities if you're not a slug so you can support the patreon but if you can't that's fine too just helps spread the word about the show really really helps out a lot sergio go ahead and hop on off that snail here's the keys to the dead rabbit dirigible we're leaving behind dead rabbit command we're gonna head out to a house that's currently under assault from cryptid so hurry up i'm probably the slowest vehicle to help these people we're flying over this house in suburbia it's late at night and there's just a bunch of cryptids like banging on the windows and stuff like bigfoot Bigfoot could do. It. Bigfoot could do it himself. He's leaning against the car, giving directions. Like you, uh, weird looking monster man, slinking through the drains, and the guy like goes in through the rain gutter, and then there's like Mothman. He's sitting out there, and Bigfoot's like take off chimney, and Mothman's like destroying the chimney because bigfoot could really solo this stuff right bill bigfoot's kind of the thor of the avengers of cryptids he's so strong i mean outside of some of those weirdos from south america with like flaming heads and stuff like that that are impervious to all weapons i'd say for north america bigfoot's the big daddy or is he actually we'll be getting to another cryptid but anyways just for the sake of this story so i stay on task Bigfoot's the demolition foreman for this house. Now, we're fl- there's too many cryptids. We can't help this family. We can't help these people in this house. There's, like, crawlers running around, a bunch of leprechauns, gray aliens, all sorts of stuff. It's a real smorgasbord of weirdness down there. But then we see a van pull up outside of the house. Er- Big headlights illuminating the front yard. <laughs> Once again, the intro is going on longer than the actual story. Here's the story. Okay, now I just turn around. We're standing in the dead rabbit and I'm like, forget all that. Here's the story. I saw this thing online recently from a guy named Sniper sixty four oh seven. So Sniper sixty four oh seven lists himself as a cryptid researcher and a horror author. He posts this online. Does anyone need help? attention grabbing right off he asks if you are being hunted or being tormented by any cryptids then he gives this this like if you don't know what that means right you're reading this and you're like hmm hunted what's the definition of hunted tormented as like mice are chewing at your feet you're like what is true torment in today's modern world He, he describes what he means by being hunted or tormented such as quote stalking Repeated tapping and banging on a house. So if you're in a car, if you're in a car and there's something banging on your car, that's not... Don't call me for that. It has to be in a house. You're in an apartment complex. No dice, bro. Such as stalking. Repeated tapping and banging on a house. Or the killing of livestock. One of those is not like the other, right? Stalking, we always get that feeling that someone's hiding behind us. Repeated tapping, that could be like a woodpecker, that could be anything from a woodpecker to Bigfoot trying to get in your house. The killing of livestock, I mean, that's, that's living animals who have had their intestines ripped out. Specifically, your living animals. This is how you make your livelihood. And you're like, it, but at least my house didn't get tapped on. At least my house is totally untapped. But he, Sniper, is here to provide help. Do you need help was the name of this post. Not him, though. He's actually volunteering his buddy, his buddy to help take care of you. He has a friend who can help you. He's not going to do it himself. He's, he's, he's smarter than that. He has a friend who's not only a big game hunter, but a big game trapper. Is that a thing? Do you go out in the woods? Do <laughs> you go out in the woods and, and wrap a rope around an elk and then go, yeehaw, and then just like tie it to a tree and leave? Or like you have like a, an elephant trap, like a giant <laughs> a giant hole, a giant elephant sized hole. And the elephant falls in and you're like, all in a day's work. What's a big game trapper? Do you catch penguins for zoos and stuff like that? Anyways, he's also ex-military. And before I feel like I'm kind of bad mouthing this guy. Let me get to this last line. He was trained to shoot by a sniper. He's not a sniper himself. He's not a sniper himself. He did serve in the military. Specifically, he doesn't say which military either. So it could have been ISIS. Now that I'm looking at this, I could have said, you know, thank you for your service. But then I realized he could actually be some ISIS soldier who also happens to catch penguins to help support his family. He is a he was trained to shoot by a sniper. He's not a sniper. So if you think you're getting help from a sniper, you did not correctly read that sentence. So he can have this friend show up, and he says that him... Because remember, Sniper is a cryptid hunter, but he's not volunteering his services. He's volunteering the services of a man who's been trained by a sniper. Not a Sniper, a sniper. I love this, though. So he goes, if you're having trouble, if something's banging on your wall, or if every so often you come out and that sheep you raised from birth has its innards scattered across the field, either one, give me a call. Give me a call and i will send my buddy out now here's this is don't don't pick up the phone just yet he actually didn't give his phone number but you can go to the show notes don't troll the guy because i think this is kind of charming but so then there's this weird part i mean this is this is the weird part right he says that his friend is willing to help you out but you have to live in a state near him we don't know what state he lives in by the way so if you're in north dakota and you're under assault you're like oh my god i hope he lives in south dakota a couple states away from him he can go and he's willing to do it quote on his own time so you have to wait until he has a weekend off you have to wait like and that's the thing generally i'm not an expert on being assaulted by cryptids it's never happened to me however i would assume i would assume you would want help somewhere in between right now and 2 minutes ago it's kind of an emergency thing when you're being attacked by a monster. But on his own time, if you live within a couple states of this mysterious man who was trained by a sniper, it does say he lives in a few surrounding states. So maybe the United States, maybe maybe the Balkan states. We don't know. I saw this. This guy posted this on Reddit and I saw this and I thought it was super charming. Right. I don't know how old this guy is. I honestly think I Oh, And I will say this. I did go read one of his short stories. He's a good writer. He's a good writer. So I, that's fun. He actually is writing, and that's really cool. He's doing his thing. And this is super charming. Like, I know I'm making fun of this, but we've all done this, right? We've all thought about, oh, you know, it would be so awesome if, like, I was hunting vampires. And then I meet, like, a sexy vampire. And I'm like, should should, should I let him bite me? Oh, no, why am I having these feelings? And then I stake him. And then I go, I regret it for the rest of my life. And I get married and have kids. I'm like, oh, I wonder if Angel, <laughs> I wonder if things between me and Angel would have ever worked out. We're from two different worlds. We've all, maybe, <laughs> maybe not that detailed, but we've all thought about hunting monsters, right? We've all thought about like getting our tools together and going out, going out and hunting monsters. Maybe with like Bigfoot, you kind of just want to see him because he's not super hostile. Chasing down these creatures through the woods. We've all had that fantasy. So when I read this, I thought it was super charming. But that's not the only reason I wanted to share it with you. This dude is posting this on Crawler Sightings. The subreddit for Crawler Sightings. uh, Truth is here. Cryptids. I'm subbed to all of those. So that's why I saw it pop up a couple times. Then he posted it to something called Humanoid Encounters. And the backlash was so ridiculous. So ridiculous. This is really why I want... This this is weirder than this is weirder than him having a friend who was trained by a sniper who will show up on his own time. Humanoid beans is a subreddit for cryptids that look like people. So, oddly specific, right? Oddly specific. I, does the Mothman count? I mean, a lot of cryptids have two arms, two legs, and a head. But anyway, so it's super specific. And Sniper starts a thread on humanoid encounters, saying, "Hey, my buddy can come and you know shoot a couple cryptids if they're ripping the guts out of your livestock." He'll come out there eventually. And I ran into something that I guess I knew existed, but I, I don't think I've ever seen it so bluntly. It's something I call the cryptids are people too movement. He got lambasted. These people came out of the woodwork and said, whoa, whoa, why are you trying to hurt cryptids? They're just people just like us. They're just multi-dimensional creatures that lurk in the darkness just like me. They were really upset that his friend, that he was offering his friend to go murder these cryptids. Now, again, he's very clear. You have to be harassed or tormented, stalked. they tapping on your house. Like, I don't think anyone should get shot in the stomach over that. But stalked or killing livestock, they're like, how dare you? Here's a quote from this um, quote. If they're killing livestock, so they do acknowledge that these creatures are killing livestock. But if they're killing livestock, then they're just trying to survive in a world. Where humans are constantly destroying the ecosystem that all these beings live in. I'm pretty sure wolves were eating sheep long before cavemen were walking around with clubs. But then you go, okay, okay, so sure, fine. Maybe it's our fault for taking cows and putting them in a pen and making them super delicious, bioengineering them to be all fat and juicy. Of course a cryptid's going to eat them. Of course a cryptid's going to eat them. Here's another, here's another quote. If they're following people, now we're we're excusing stalking, we're victim blaming people who are assaulted by cryptids. If they're following people but not hurting them, then they're probably trying to understand human nature. Okay, that's fair, I guess. Like a a nature photographer, a nature photographer who walks on all fours, who growls and has no body hair. You're right. If they're following people but not hurting them, they're probably trying to understand human nature. Or, this is the rest of the quote, or... You you sold me on that one. Like, I could have been like, okay, yeah, maybe Bigfoot isn't menacing. Most Bigfoot stories, he's not menacing, right? Okay, yeah, maybe he's just trying to figure out what makes humans tick. They're probably trying to understand human nature. Or, the quote continues, or possibly feeding... Or possibly feeding off of their fear energy. That's not good. That's not, that's, there's no way you can sugarcoat that. Then you know that they're scary and they love it. Mm, they're licking it up. They're licking up that delicious fear energy. Drinking that louche. They want you to pee your pants. dude. It makes it extra tasty. They want your adrenochrome. Blah, blah, blah. That's that's terrible argument but anyways he has run off of this subreddit the last i checked he didn't respond to any of his people were nauseated they thought it was quote effing sickening so i find it super bizarre that they are hung up on this idea that cryptids are people too that you shouldn't go out and shoot something that's killing livestock you would do that for a wolf or a coyote or anything rats are eating your chicken's legs you blow the rats away. You don't go, oh, it's probably just because probably just I stored all these chickens in one location. I'm a chicken farmer, but probably, should, probably shouldn't do that. Probably should become a rat farmer. Very bizarre thing. But I do think that story is really just kind of adorable wanting to hunt cryptids. And then, and then these jerks show up and they're like, no, cryptids are people too. When technically the very definition of cryptid is making them monstrous. They may not always have monstrous intentions, but even if you're just feeding off fear energy, that's the equivalent of when your, like, bigger brother, like, jumped out of the closet to scare you and said, I'm just joking, as you're, like, whimpering in the corner and you never want to go in the closet again, even though you are now recording in a haunted closet. Sergio, let's go ahead and leave behind the... Where were we at? Suburbia. That segment went on way longer than I thought it was going to. We're leaving behind Suburbia. I'm going to toss you the keys to the carbonercopter. Copter. We're headed out to a little colony. Known as Jamestown. (laughs) And as the carpenter Copter is flying, Sergio hit that little back in time button. All of a sudden, the carpenter Copter becomes all woodsy. It's like made of trees and branches. (laughs) It loses its ability to fly. And we land softly. But at least now it looks like an old-timey log cabin helicopter. Sergio, land this carpenter Copter. Land this wooden carpenter Copter in the state of Virginia. The year is 1609. And we're in the colony known as Jamestown. Now, I got most of my information from this first part from a National Geographic article written by Paula Neely, so I really want to give a heads up and a tip of the hat, a tip of the colonial hat to Paula. Thank you so much. And this story that we're going to be going into was recommended by a Dead Rabbit Radio listener known as Honey Wand. so thank you. You get a little tip of the colonial hat as well. We're walking through Jamestown. We're wearing those old-timey provincial clothes, but it's not enough. <sighs> It's super cold. Snowflakes are falling. People are singing no Christmas carols this year. People are starving. What's going on in 1609 was you had the residents of Jamestown. They were having a really harsh winter. They weren't getting the crops they needed. They weren't prepared. These colonists weren't prepared for such hardy living. They actually had an alliance with a local tribe, the Powhatan Confederacy. But that started to break down, too, because the Jamestown colonists kept going back and saying, hey, can you give us a little more of that? What do you call it again? And they're like, food. And they're like, yeah, yeah, the food. Give us some of that stuff. And the natives were working with them, but they were demanding too much food. They were demanding too much resources. And then other things are going off. Tensions roiled and a skirmish broke out. A skirmish that the colonists weren't ready for. It's already a really brutal winter. They're not prepared for these conditions. And now they are under siege from the Powhatan Confederacy. The colony of Jamestown is surrounded. There was a lot of stories that came out during this time period. Because the colony of Jamestown did overcome these obstacles. Eventually, reinforcements arrived... The siege was broken, new colonists showed up, new supplies showed up, and Jamestown became a flourishing colony. But in 1609, the winter of 1609 to 1610, they didn't know, they didn't have notes on a laptop in the year 2021 to know how it was going to end. There were stories, though, all along, that the residents of Jamestown resorted to cannibalism. Cannibalism's not unheard of, but it's very rare in most societies. Director of Archaeology of the historic Jamestown Center, William Kelso, had always heard of these reports. Everyone had always heard of these reports of cannibalism. He didn't believe them. He didn't believe them. He actually believed that they were fake news. People were trying to make the colony of Jamestown look bad back then. They had, like, competing colonies. They're like, come on down. Come on down to this colony. We got all the corn you can eat. They didn't believe it. There was no proof of it at all. But what's happened is archaeologists have recently discovered, they discovered this back in, like, 2013, there was cannibalism at Jamestown. Now, that I keep kind of underselling, I keep saying it was a bad winter, it was a bad winter. It was known as the starving times. You don't want any, don't want any period of your life to have the word starving in it. It was known as the starving times. 80% of the original colonists that were there died in these few months. So there were the rumors about cannibalism, but they could never ever prove it. What happened was archaeologists have recently been going through Jamestown and they unearthed underneath this building a garbage chute. And in it, they found the butchered skull and a shin bone of a 14 year old girl just thrown in the trash. Now, it was a harsh winter. People really weren't able to dig graves. I mean, you could, but you'd really have to put your back into it, considering it was known as the starving times. You had better things to spend your calories on. But they thought it was weird. They found this human skull and this bone in the garbage. But that wasn't what made them think it was cannibalism. They noticed the skull actually had knife marks on it. It was broken open. This article says, quote, They were clearly interested in cheek meat. Muscles of the face, the tongue, and the brain. Looking at the skull and they've been able to do a facial reconstruction and they can say this is what this 14-year-old girl looked like. And based on like the teeth and the bones, they were actually able to paint a pretty vivid picture of who this 14-year-old girl may have been. Very, very healthy skeleton good teeth probably could have been a teeth model if she was around in the times of cameras and not eaten herself they think she was either wealthy from a wealthy family or the maid of a wealthy family they believe she had just arrived into jamestown that november there was a new ship of colonists that had come in that November. It had a supply ship in this convoy. It didn't make it. It was waylaid by storms. So you just have you you have a bunch of starving people in this colony, and then a bunch of other people showed up, and they're like, "Hey, we're here. It's awesome. When's dinner time?" And everyone just turns and looks at these newcomers. They don't know who these newcomers are. These newcomers definitely aren't prepared for the winter. And since you don't know who they are, who are you going to eat first, right? By November, by the time that these other colonists showed up, the people of Jamestown were already eating horses. They're already eating cats and dogs, rats. They're eating the leather out of their shoes. There was written documents saying that first they began to dig up the dead and devour them. But eventually, I mean, if you're going to be a cannibal, eat it fresh, right? You want to do the subway method. Like, you don't want to sit... If I have made the decision to eat human meat... Do I want to be like, oh, grandma, you've been dead for 200 years. I will suck the marrow out of your bones. Or will you look at, like, the plump dude in the corner? The plump dude who's, like, sweating bacon grease because he ate some bacon. I apparently, Apparently he still had some bacon. Well, who are you going to eat? I'm not going to say you should murder people to eat them. But you're gonna at a certain point you're gonna stop eating people who've been dead for a long time. You're gonna eat people who just died, if they just died because you <laughs> killed them. Eh, c'est la vie. First, they started digging up the people and eating them, and so they had heard these. Had one one of the most famous stories is that a man killed his pregnant wife and ate her, and then they executed him. In almost every culture, the punishment for cannibalism is execution. Like there's some cultures that see it as a like a warrior thing, and then they kind of get away with it. But for the most part, if you do it in a survival situation, even if you make it through that, you're going to be in some serious issues. So that guy was killed. But there was never any proof that that actually happened. Here we have this 14-year-old girl. They could tell from her bones that she came from a really well-off family. She was well-fed before all this happened. They don't know. The one thing they can't say for sure is, was she murdered to be eaten? They said it's possible that she died of natural causes, and then they ate her. They do say, though, that they can tell she was eaten by more than one person. They said that when they look at the skull, the knife cuts, it's really interesting. This is what I love about doing this show, and this is what I love about reading these articles. This National Geographic article is so well written. The research behind it is really good. They said when you looked at the skull and you looked at the knife marks on the skull, they said there was a hesitancy to it you could tell that some of the knife marks were trying to figure out what they're doing should they cut sharply how deep should they cut but they go as you can start to, as you start to look at the skull you can start to see that it became more we just want the brain. <laughs> we just want the brains, right? You could they could kind of see the evolution of the cuts on the skull. And then there is the breaking in the back where the brains were slurped out, but what I'm assuming it was a colonial crazy straw. It went Loop, made a little loop-de-loop. But the shin bone, they said it looks like a butcher took the meat off of it. Very, very professional cuts on the shin bone. So it is almost like more than one person was devouring this girl, which would make sense because. I think only like 26 or 30 people survived. That's off the top of my head. I'm not, that's not in my notes. But when the new residents showed up, when the reinforcement showed up and the siege was broken, the new commander showed up and he's like, OK, this is super gross because everyone had been eating all these people. This is super gross. Let's get rid of all of this evidence. And by get rid of, they meant throw it in the garbage. So out of everything that was tossed in the garbage of all these human remains and this was basically just cleaned up we were able to find this young girl's skull and this bone. Here's a little piece of information I I never heard this before. James Horn, the vice president of research for the Colonial Williamsburg Foundation. Here's this quote. It is the only referring to this girl's skull and shin bone. It is the only artifactual evidence. Of cannibalism by Europeans at any European colony, Spanish, French, English, or Dutch, throughout the colonial period from 1500 to 1800. Unquote. There's always been stories that it's happened, but this is the only time we've ever found proof of it. Which means those stories are made up. They probably aren't. People have eaten people under dire circumstances. And these colonial situations, a lot of times, could become dire circumstances. But what happened was the evidence was just destroyed. Those bones, those bones are so delicious. Make some bone soup of old Dutch boy over there. Blah, blah, blah. This is the only artifactual evidence of European cannibalism. Does it? But it has happened before. So that's an interesting story, and it would be great to end on if this was a historical podcast. Which sometimes we do do historical stuff. But but what Honey Wan's theory was, it ties this story into the story of the Wendigo. And I want to take a time out to mention this as well. This story is what I mean. A lot of times people recommend stories, and I really appreciate all your recommendations. They'll recommend stories to me that are fairly well-known or would just be me kind of going over a very popular theory. If you want me to cover something like that, find a unique spin on it. Find a unique spin on it. I The Wendigo, he's had movies, he's had television shows, cartoons, action figures. He's basically Bigfoot, but farther up north and all snowy and stuff like that. I wouldn't do an episode about the Wendigo. But Honeywand was able to present this to me in a unique way—a way I'd never heard about the Wendigo. So, if you want me to cover a topic that's more popular, this is kind of what I'm looking for. So, thank you, Honeywand, and really thanks to everyone who sends me story suggestions because it definitely always helps. Sergio, let's fire up this colonial carpenter copter. We are leaving behind Jamestown. They're like, please give us some food. Give us some food. We're throwing corn out of the helicopter. We're changing the timeline, but. I just, I just had a bunch of corn I had to get rid of anyways. Let's make sure the snail's on board, too, or they're going to make them into some S-cargo. We're leaving behind Jamestown. We're flying up north to the wooded areas of Canada and America. I'm sure there's a specific forest named up there. We're just going up to the wooded areas. The Wendigo. Like I said, super popular story. It's basically a snow-covered Bigfoot in essence, in physical essence. But... That's actually a westernized version of him. When we think of Wendigo, a lot of times in the movies, he has horns, he's very beastly, he's like a Bigfoot creature. But it's originally a Native American legend, and it's very, very popular in the northeast of America. and Canada, you have these stories. We actually covered something similar to it called the Stoneclad on a recent episode. There's some parallels between the Wendigo and the Stoneclad as well. It tends to be a 7-8 to foot tall creature. In the original version, it's an emaciated human, which is less scary than a big beast with horns until we get to why it's going on like this, why it's an emaciated human. Seven foot tall, emaciated human with a heart of ice. The only way to kill it is to... This is funny, too, because this is where we do see other Western elements. I could not find a Native American way to kill a Wendigo, other than you have to get a shaman to practice these rites to get rid of it. If you look at, like, I was looking at these other websites and they're like, you must smash the ice heart, preferably with a steel blade, and then take it and lock it in a steel box to put in a cemetery. None of those things existed in native culture. They didn't have steel. They definitely didn't have a steel box. They didn't have a steel sword, and they didn't have consecrated cemeteries. They did have, you know, burial grounds. But so we start to see those West, so if basically if you're being chased by a Wendigo, you might want to call up Sniper, because if you go online to try to figure out a way to kill him, it's not going to work. Maybe Sniper, maybe Sniper's friend knows a shaman, but the Wendigo is this creature. Now it's again, a very, very interesting cryptid. It's not really a cryptid in and of itself. It's a spirit that invades a human. And it starts off, you're just a normal person. Generally, the most easiest way, if you ever want to become a Wendigo, is to devour human flesh. And the spirit comes inside of you. But you're just a normal dude. I'm five foot 11, walking down the street. I see, I see a dude sleeping on the ground, taking a nap. He smells like bacon grease. So I walk up, arf, I take a bite out of his bicep, and I run away. They never catch me. But now the Wendigo spirit has gotten a hold of me. Now you think, you know, that big, that big juicy bicep should have made me a little full, right? It actually, should have made me sick and nauseous, but it should have at least filled my tummy up a bit. Now I'm hungry for more human flesh. I'm out walking the streets, looking, <laughs> looking in the bacon district, looking for other people who taste like delicious sausage. And no matter how many people I eat, I never get full. I'm never satiated. But it's not because of any sort of weird, mystical black hole in my stomach. It's that the more human flesh you eat, the bigger you get. Because now I'm eight feet tall, that I could eat a whole human. And I think this will fill me up. This human, this human's new Bull. He's as tall as I am. But by the time I digest him, now I'm 12 feet tall. You get bigger and bigger the more human flesh you devour. But the more human flesh you devour, the hunger never goes away. It is the definition of a stalker and a tormentor. It can imitate any person's voice. It's so strong, even in the beginning. It can push over trees. It will come at you straight through the forest. It will make tons of sound to scare you, to feed off that fear juice. Or it can make no sound at all and devour you without you even noticing it. Very, very typical cryptid lore stuff. Very interesting stuff, but very well-known stuff. So what's the special twist on this? Honeywant's theory, and there's other people who believe this theory as well, is that you had early instances of the Wendigo legend in native tribes. Specifically in the northeast of America and in Canada. You saw early stories about Wendigos. Generally, they were solitary events. A Wendigo, the Wendigo. But then, when the Europeans showed up, the stories became more popular again. And this is the theory that the Wendigo legend was inspired by the Europeans. Now, to be fair, you could say you got a whole new group of listeners. You have people who are writing down the legend. It could have been very popular before the Europeans showed up, and now it's just written down and shared with future generations. But there are many people who say that the Europeans inspired the story of the Wendigos. And that would kind of explain why in the beginning you had these limited instances of Wendigo encounters. Because we can go back to the stories of Vikings landing in the United States, of wayward European ships lost at sea, ending up in the United States. And you just have these small groups of people, alien to this land, showing up. But you're like, Jason, the Europeans didn't show up and just full Pac-Man and just start eating everybody, so why would this cannibalistic spirit be tied to the Europeans? The Wendigo idea of cannibalism is only a part of it. When you really dig into the legends, another part of it is not necessarily flesh cannibalism. It's the destruction of nature itself. It's the destruction of the natural order. If you were a Native American, and the year is 1200 AD, and a Viking longship ended up on your shore, your tribe has always been moving around. You may be confined to a fairly limited area, but the limited area today would be like three or four U.S. states. You're moving, following the food source, you're following the seasons, and... A group of outsiders show up and they begin chopping down trees, building permanent establishments, writing runes on rocks. How would you explain that? Your encounters with them could either be pleasant, trading food, trading culture, or brutally violent. But they're doing something different to the world than you're used to. How would you explain that? They're chopping down these trees. They're changing the environment. It's almost like they're heartless. It's almost like they're outside of our world. Eventually, though, they die off. But then you start to see, generations later, hundreds of people come off of these boats, and they begin building forts and towns and cities, and they're clearing out forests, damming rivers. And it feels... Hostile to the world. The story of the Wendigo could be a reflection of outsiders coming in and devouring the natural resources. Not just devouring it, but perverting it. We're going to chop down these trees and plant these little wheat fields here. When you could just travel the land and eat only what you need, you don't need to have these huge storehouses. When winter comes, they're like, just go to the place where the winter's less wintry. And kill the animals there. No, we're going to build the ground. We're going to reshape the earth. So that could be why the Wendigo stories became popular once again. Because they were seeing the legends come true. It's not necessarily about the humans devouring each other's flesh. It was about the humans devouring the flesh of the world. And what are we but children of the world? Now, long-time listeners of the show know I'm normally not this hippy-dippy. Talking about nature and stuff like that. But I think this... Conspiracy theory is very fascinating, and I think we can even fast forward it to today. We have devoured the planet as a species, not as an individual culture, not as an individual government. As a species, we have done this, and we've done it willingly. We've done it willingly. We love the comforts that technology has given us. That computer that I have in front of me while I'm recording this episode... It was made by people who weren't paid enough to make this computer. That's the bottom line. And when I'm done with this computer and it is recycled, it is going to be sent to India, where a 12-year-old kid is going to use toxic chemicals to remove the gold and the precious metals from this computer to sell to somebody else. I am fully aware of that. We all are. The clothes that we wear, the cars that we drive, they all feed the spirit of the Windigo. The Windigo isn't just a cannibalistic spirit. The Windigo isn't just the Europeans coming to the States. The Windigo is society itself. It's the world. And we know the stuff we do is harmful, not just to the planet, not just to our neighbors, but to ourselves. It's so interesting. We know it. We know the fact that we have those cell phones two inches from our brain all the time. We know it's not good for us. But we do it. Listen to music too loud, blows out our eardrums. But we do it. I find it interesting to think. That, what if there is a countervailing spirit to what some people call Mother Nature that wants everything to be destroyed? This is beyond Lucifer, it's something natural and it is a counterbalance to Mother Nature or an Earth spirit. It is something that has existed before man, it is something. That wants the destruction of the environment, of the people on the planet, of everything. There has to be a counterbalance to everything. There is a black hole, there is a white hole. If there is Mother Nature, then is there the wendigo? Is there a spirit that infuses people that makes us want to distort and control and pervert the planet? And our own bodies the Wendigo is winning it's hard to hunt a cryptid when you're already inside its belly Radio at gmail.com is going to be our email address you can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio twitter is at deadrabbitradio Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day. But I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. I hope you enjoyed the pop filter as well.